0: Let's uh, prepare to hear the word of God. Uh, the, uh, the death of uh, George Floyd has been one of the most uh, dramatic, heart-wrenching, deplorable, tragic losses that have uh, taken place in America in a very, very long time. There have been massacres where dozens of people have been killed, um, even within these last uh, few years. Um, that have not caused uh, the same kind of reaction and the same kind of sense of scandal and, um, uh, what would be the word, Uh, indignation that has been felt all over America and really all over the world. It has gone beyond just the loss of one single life. These days, I mean, terrorist attacks kill hundreds of people sometimes. And we kind of become inured and used to the, the uh, multiple losses of life in one single cruel human action. So in a sense, you know, numerically speaking, this would seem to be you know, just one, one more loss of life. But somehow, there is, something has taken place um, in the American consciousness and also in the consciousness of the world that um, goes beyond just the number and beyond the fact that it was one single life, although every life is precious, lost. It has struck a chord in our consciousness. It has struck a chord in our sensibility. Um, I, and I think one of, the thing, one of the reasons is it's a sheer symbolic power. The fact that, in a sense, it uh, made concrete so many of the offenses that have accumulated over hundreds of years in, in American society, in American history, and uh, this symbolism of a powerful man, a white man specifically, over a powerless black man, uh, st- that white man standing over that black man and uh, suffocating him over the course of eight and plus long cruel minutes, it seems to make um, both concretely and symbolically um, bring together, brought together all the injustices that have been committed in this land. And I think it's just that sheer symbolic power of that image, which I have not brought my, I've not been able to bring myself to watch it. I'll tell you that I, you know, there, there, are, there are things that I, at this age, at my age, I, I, can, I, don't, I cannot watch, and I, I have not been able to watch, and I have not, I don't think I will unless I'm forced to, to watch that uh, scene. I, I have not wanted to soil my heart and my sensibility with the, the, the filth of that moment. And um, it, it is, it is uh, as I say, it, because it, it incarnates everything that is wrong. Um, in the sense of how we relate to each other. And the fact that that action is so contrary to everything that we Christians uh, stand for. Um, It it is a total violation of the Christian ethic of love and consideration and and respect for the dignity of a human being, whether he he or she be black or white or Asian or Hispanic, poor, Rich, whatever it is, the Christian sensibility repudiates what lies behind that action. And let there be no doubt about the fact that Lion of Judah and its leadership and its people, I am sure all of us, denunciate, reject, are indignant by what took place in uh, Minneapolis, just a, well, was an, an eternity ago, and and we do pray that out of this unspeakable tragedy, good will come in terms of um, a greater consciousness on on the part of all of us about never never being the source of uh, abuse or indignity uh, or oppression for another human being. As believers, we submit to the ethic of. Absolute respect for the dignity of a human being. The words of um, that, that are inscribed uh, in the Hippocratic Oath, and and uh, that doctors take, and and uh, you know the ethic of, of uh, doctors is, um, you know, first of all, do not do no harm. And I think that that is the 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 ethic that should guide us. And by the way, not just in the relationship between a policeman and uh, a citizen, but between a husband and his wife, a father and his children, a pastor and his congregation, um, a, a boss and uh, their employees. In, in whatever relationship in life we are involved in, even with animal life, we, we should never be found abusing, oppressing, harming Another human life, it is the very ethic that lies at the heart of Christianity. And this morning, I, I, in the name of our congregation, especially in the name of Jesus Christ, we denounce the feelings and uh, the entire mental background that lay uh, within that action that so recklessly, Took the life of another human being. And so we truly, truly grieve how we have all been soiled by, by this act. The very fabric of American society has been damaged by this. And the only thing that would redeem it if, is if uh, better things come out of it true transformation, reform, change in different ways. And if we all, make it a point to elevate the value of uh, human lives and to see beyond the, dr- the dress of a person, their, the color of their skin, their gender, their station in life, this image of God that is palpitating within them, the, the, the vibrance vibrancy of God's divinity, In every human being, no matter what life has done to them, what they have done to themselves over the course of the years, that unshakable imprint of God's divinity is in every human being. And uh, that is what we need to look at beyond everything else. And that's what should guide every one of our actions. And I will have time to speak about that again. I, I am going to dedicate... A good amount of time to this subject in the next uh, couple of weeks, at the very least. But um, yesterday, uh, you know, I had been thinking the whole week about—I um, had been thinking the whole week about uh, this uh, situation and and thinking that I needed to make a statement, that I needed to to uh, say something um, that because my congregation was waiting for something to be said and other people were waiting for me to make a statement. And and I have been mulling over this um, situation over the entire week and asking the Lord for wisdom to um, speak a word that was timely and that was uh, gracious and balanced uh, and true. Um, and so I've been in prayer the whole week. And Then yesterday I sat down, yesterday afternoon I sat down to, to prepare uh, today's meditation. And um, I got a text, uh, which I I saw a text that I had gotten from Sam Acevedo um, a couple of days before or day before, and I hadn't seen it. So I... I looked into it. It was a, the text of a, something that he had written to uh, his uh, mentors, the mentors at the Higher Education Resource Center. You know, the Higher, Resource Center, Higher Education Resource Center has uh, work in seven, eight, how many is it, is schools? Nine now. Nine high schools in the city of Boston. And we mentor children and, and uh, teach them. All kinds of values for life and for success and so on and so forth. And so um, Sam sent me that text uh, of, of something that he had written to uh, the workers there, at the Higher Education Resource Center. And, you know, I, I have always felt that um, why, why try to, you know, improve on something that is quite good um, so, you know, I thought to myself, uh, and, uh, you know, I had to really think hard about it because I know that some people are expecting to hear from their senior pastor. But I, th- I thought that Sam's uh, writing was so cogent and so balanced and uh, eloquent in many ways that, uh, you know, and the fact that he's, uh, he reflects my feelings and, and the fact that here you have two of the leaders, key leaders in the congregation Thinking pretty much the same thought. That that only reinforces what the beliefs of this congregation are. So if you don't see me up here making that statement, make believe that it is me. If that matters to you. If not, then that's, that that's the way it should be because the words are what are valuable. Um, I will be here, standing visibly right next to him, saying these words, because um, you know I don't. I may not agree a thousand percent on it, but ninety nine. Is, is very much um, what, I, what I would say. So see this as a prelude to my own comments because I really want to dedicate time for us to think about the biblical implications of what has taken place. And so we will, we will continue this dialogue. This is just the one statement uh, representative of what I feel and what our church does feel as well. So let his words speak this morning. And as I say, I am here with him in spirit as well, uh, uh, uttering these, these uh, words as well. So Sam, thank you. Come and lead us.
1: Good morning, Lion of Judah. And that goes for all of you who are watching online. Careful what you ask for. I uh, I sent that note to pastor asking him, uh, hey, could, would you look this over before I, I press send on it to the to the coaches, and um, and about 4 p.m. yesterday afternoon, he called me and said, "Would you preach it?" Um, let's come before the Lord together. This is actually a very, very simple prayer. For a congregation line of Judah both virtual and present. Would you lift up your hands before the Lord right now? One of the reasons we do that is to expose our hearts to him. We're not covering our hearts. And we can't now. And please say this with me. God, search my heart. God. Search my heart. Amen. As I look out, even at this congregation gathered here under you know COVID nineteen specific requirements, even in this reduced state, this fraction, this remnant of Line of Judah, I see African Caribbeans. I see African Americans, I see uh, Central American Latinos, I see Caribbean Latinos, I see white folks who would give Ancestry.com a field day, that's our church. That's this beautiful, 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 beautiful church I call home that I'm proud to be a member of. Not to mention our virtual church online. How do you preach about racism and race and righteousness to that church? And as of 4 p.m. yesterday, I was saying, thank God pastors going to have to do that so this is not a sermon in that sense this is less a sermon as you hear this know that this is less a sermon than one man's attempt to have God do just what we just prayed it's really my musings meant really just for the eyes of a team that God has called me to lead, and who I think need to know, well, what, what, what does their executive director care and think about these issues? My musings on a subject that could tear this nation apart, that Satan would tear this nation apart on even further if we let him. First, sharing the obvious. Stating a little bit about the obvious, obvious, a little what the pastor had already shared, and in this word, you're going to hear a lot of I statements, which is not typical of a sermon. I want you all to know, at the end of the day, y'all don't like anything. You don't like Sam, <laughs> so be upset with Sam. And if you got questions about Lina Judah, addressed him to Pastor Roberto, our senior pastor. This is just Sam. Sam believes that anyone wearing the uniform and shield of an officer of the law, and this is coming from someone who was once a law enforcement officer, and abuses the power of that uniform to dehumanize a black person and deprives them of their dignity or property or liberty, or in the case of Ahmad Aubrey. Breonna Taylor, and George Floyd, their lives commits a heinous crime. A heinous crime. That one act, that single act of injustice, harms the fabric of our society on many levels. First, it perpetuates the cycle of racism, retaliation, and violence that I believe is America's original sin. There'll be a little more on that in this word. It undermines faith in the rule of law, disparaging the sufficiently difficult and often heroic work of thousands of honorable men and women in police uniforms, including members of this congregation, Officer Manny Ortega and Jimmy Union of uh, the Boston Police Department, Officer Anthony Ducasti of the Somerville Police Department, and others. It, it denigrates them who risk their lives each day to keep our communities safe and thriving. And spiritually, and perhaps most insidiously, it gives Satan a field day. A field day with his malignant hold on our community, feeding off our grief, our resentment, our bitterness, our hatred, our division, and the diminishing of God's glory in us. More on that too. I also applaud the efforts of so many who have struggled to give voice to their grief and outrage through peaceful, nonviolent, and God-honoring means, including members of our own congregation. Even as I joined the chorus of leading Boston civil rights leaders, the NAACP, Black Lives Matter, D.A. Rollins, Councillor Mejia, in condemning last Sunday's lawlessness and looting, marring the efforts of the peaceful marchers, and desecrating the memory. Those of, the, of, the, of those, those marchers came to honor. But in saying this, I've said no more than what so many have said. None of us come to our notions about race and racism in a vacuum. None of us. If racism is the scourge and evil that we say it is, and it's probably worse than we say it is, defeating it, will require thoughtfulness and soul-searching, which is difficult to achieve when we're overwhelmed by rage and grief. In all that's been said in the aftermath of these murders and violence, there's been precious few cries of, Lord, search my heart. Lord, search my heart. My heart... Where pain takes root and becomes toxic. My heart. My heart where sin abides and leads to death. This is my attempt here. No doubt imperfect and feeble. To beg God to. As declared in Psalm 139. Search me God. And know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me. Can you pray with that with me? See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. A little bit about facing racism in my own journey. The barb of racism in the United States has afflicted black America most obviously and most relentlessly. But throughout this nation's history, this national sin has perpetrated injustices against other minority people groups. Against Native Americans, displacing them often violently from their lands. Against Asians, the Chinese Exclusion Act, of the 19th century, the internment of Japanese Americans during the Second World War, and against Latinos. Latinos in America have faced an ambiguous encounter with racism. The complexion of some Latinos has allowed some of us to pass for white, at least for a time. Getting away with it a little bit. But that's just deferring the sting, sting of racism, never thoroughly escaping it. Sooner or later, we're all reminded we're different. And my family and I, and they're watching in Orlando. We were never so lucky. Among Latinos, our first and most painful encounter with racism is often... Among ourselves. Among ourselves. And in my case, among my own family. What I'm about to share, even the pastor had not heard, in the 30 some odd years he's been my mentor. There's just been no occasion to share this part of, this corner of my closet with Pastor Roberto, even to this day. As kids, my siblings and I could not figure out why my dad's side of the family shunned us. But among some Puerto Ricans, my mom and dad would be considered a mixed-race couple. My dad was a freckle-faced redhead, believe it or not. My mom was several shades darker than me. That was enough that was enough to inspire a frosty distance with that side of the family that endured into our thirties. And to this day, God is still healing. Later in life, I was given a taste of what it's like to encounter racism in the guise of a white law enforcement officer. It wasn't fun. In my 20s and early 30s, I was stopped. Now, I, I'm not talking about the times I deserved to be stopped. <laughs> in my teens and in my early 20s, because I, you know, I had a lead foot. But these were times I was stopped no fewer than four times across three states, all of the northern, New York, New Jersey, and Massachusetts, in unmistakable cases of racial profiling. What does that mean? I looked the part behind the wheel. Never the potentially life-threatening encounters of a black man behind the wheel, but all sufficiently unsettling, and a couple of them outright terrifying, like the encounter involving a Massachusetts state trooper who pulled over my beat-up Ford LTD. The folks from Lion of Judah would call that car Orlando. My beat-up Ford LTD before I merged onto the Mass Pike. Actually, I was on the way to a worship team uh, uh, rehearsal. He did not order me out of my vehicle and tore it apart searching for whatever because I knew enough to not give him consent. I happened to be a, a BC law student at the time. Later, as a full-blown New York City Assistant Corporation counsel, the Latino driver of the unmarked cab I was riding in was stopped in the Bronx by officers of the same precinct that only days earlier had shot an arm-armed black man to pieces who was reaching for his wallet, Amadou Diallo. Just blocks away from this murder. And days away from that. The officer was verbally abusive and unprofessional to the driver. And then to me, when I attempted to intervene, I produced my shield and demanded to see his COD, his commanding officer of the day. And that called him off. Each of these encounters, though, left me shaken. I still, wow, get a little sweaty. Talking about it, sweaty, rattled, shaken. But here's the question People of God, what do you do with those memories? What do you do with them? Those and myriad others, the ignorant remark, the petty slight. As these and other jarring memories buffet our consciousness, it's impossible for them not to shape us. Impossible. But, as I was blessed to have been taught by my God-seeking parents, we can choose. Say with me, we can choose. We can choose how they shape us. We can choose how they shape us. Satan's meteor shower can warp us, dinging our souls with craters of bitterness and rage. Why do you think Paul implores us in Ephesians chapter 4? In your anger, do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't give the enemy a foothold. Why is that language there? They could destroy us or they can serve as the resistance propelling us from good to great. You've heard of resistance training, gaining strength by pressing against external objects. In a sense, I was privileged. Perhaps the greatest privilege was a set of parents that encoded me with a sense of indomitability in the face of of anything. Sam. No weapon forged against you shall prosper. Samuel, all things work to the good of those who love God and who are called by his purposes. Samuel, if God be for us, who can be against us? They challenged me to take God at his word. To despite my pathetic impurities and inevitable failures, do my best to enter into counter-cultural, counter-intuitive covenant with God. My destiny was a choice. My destiny was a choice. It was they, my mom and dad, who wired in that sense that whatever I faced, whatever resisted me along the way, including racism, my and this is, ever wonder where that motto came for the Boston Herc? My destination would be greatness. Now I want to talk a little bit about America's original sin. The result of that upbringing was an odd duck. A Latino with a love for the English language, when you grow up Reading the King James Bible, Shakespeare's easy, right? With an instinctive distaste for injustice, I still mourn that the author of Cambodia's genocide, Pol Pot, managed to die a quiet and peaceful death. And with a penchant for American history. Just as my parents taught me to seek and honor God's covenant, I see in American history a case study of God taking his covenant seriously. It's not at all inconsistent that a nation, or more often an individual, with a great calling should at once harbor, braided with that calling, a great sin. We see it in Scripture. God may overlook it for a time among those who make no pretension to covenant with him. That's a different problem and there will be a different outcome for those. But God will not tolerate protracted sin, protracted, unrepented sin among those who seek covenant with him. He loved Israel, loves Israel, but in his wrath delivered Israel to its enemies. Likewise, he would not Put up or pass over on America's sin. The Lord disciplines the one he loves. Racism has been called America's original sin. Jim Wallace, a prominent theologian and activist, wrote a book by that title. But long before that, folks have drawn that conclusion, and I agree. America's original sin, and the Holy Spirit will not give America a pass on it. A little history lesson. During the Revolutionary War, African Americans fought on both sides, both with the the British and on the Continental Army. Each fought wanting the same thing, their freedom. The same thing that the white colonists, among them grandchildren of the Puritans, said they were fighting for. And in 1787, having won their independence from Great Britain, the framers had the opportunity to rid this land of chattel slavery and blew it. And blew it. Attempting, they made a deal with, literally with the devil. Attempting, as it turns out, to delay a civil war. Maybe if we ignore it, it'll go away. Brilliant minds like Thomas Jefferson reasoned. But it didn't go away. It didn't go away. In the revivals of the early 19th century, because um, God did have a covenant with this land. And he did visit this land. And the Holy Spirit did spread its power over this land. And in the revivals of the early 19th century, the second great awakening, the Holy Spirit kept saying to those pining for holiness and for purity, get rid of this thing. Get rid of it. It is abominable to me. Birthing the abolitionist movement of the 19th century. But it took a murderous internecine civil war to vanquish slavery in America. I believe, as God willed it. The ferocity of that war surprised even those who waged it. It seemed to take on a life of its own. Like I said, I'm an American history buff. I've actually walked the grounds of Gettysburg three times. Pastor Greg and I were there for its 150th anniversary, reliving Pickett's Charge. It's a weird, they call it hollowed ground. Until you're there, I mean, you can feel it still. Armies, thousands of men mauling each other like a factory of death no nation has seen anything similar to this and survived as a nation Abraham Lincoln exhausted in his second inaugural identified the source of that fury and he pointed to the wrath of a just God exacted On both the North and the South. This is going to sound like it's coming from Charles Finney or some revivalist preacher. But this is from the 16th president of the United States. And in his second inaugural, he said, If God wills that war, that the war should continue until all the wealth piled by the bondsman's 250 years of unrequited toil, he's talking to the north there, shall be sunk. And until every drop of blood drawn with the lash shall be paid by another drawn by the sword, he's talking to the south, as was said 3,000 years ago, so still it must be said, the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Those words are etched in marble in Lincoln's memorial in Washington, D.C. Yet, if black slavery ended with the Civil War, its root sin, its root sin, racism, especially against blacks, has persisted. As has God's wrath. As has God's wrath. Racism endured beyond Reconstruction through Jim Crow and wholesale lynchings. Endured beyond the civil rights movement and the great society. Endured beyond electing a black president. Endured, as we know too well, into the 21st century. The murders we mourn in 2020, are but the violent eruption to the surface of a great magma chamber of racism invisible to our eyes, but God sees it and God abhors it. Now, church, let's do some thinking. Why can't we get rid of this thing? With a war, with stirring rhetoric, with laws, with court decisions, where is this thing getting its energy? Ever wonder? In a Zoom call with the mayor last week, Bishop William Dickerson, my friend, from Greater Love Tabernacle, explained to Mayor Walsh, racism. Is a spiritual problem. Racism is a spiritual problem. What does that mean? Racism is a wondrously self perpetuating sin. Guard your heart, warns Proverbs 4. Guard your heart. It's the wellspring of life. Hell. Where does hell get its energy? Hell is fueled and fed by certain transactions of the human mind and heart. That's what fuels the fires of hell. And racism is an almost perfect satanic breeder reactor feeding off a cycle of hellish energy it itself produces. It's almost, it's quite impressive. It it feeds off the patronizing and dehumanizing pride of the white oppressor. And then it feeds off the rage, bitterness, and self-loathing of the black victim. The cycle of violence and resentment can and has endured for generations until that cycle is broken. Until people are courageous enough and anointed enough to break that cycle. What will it take to escape the cycle of racism and resentment? There's a quote at the base of my emails. And there's a reason it's, it's been there for years. Can we project that slide? It's a phrase that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. repeated often, actually, most powerfully and most prophetically on the last night of his life in what would be his last sermon. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hatred. Cannot drive out hatred. Only love can do that. The next day, on the veranda of a seedy hotel in Memphis, he was murdered. That phrase encapsulates poetically an entire canon of scripture. We could just spend the next hour on that phrase alone. And a, and, but it's also a strategy for waging war on darkness. Apart, what is Satan's game? Folks, let's identify the enemy. Apart from taking our property or our dignity or, or, or even our lives, the enemy's true target is our hearts. The enemy's true target is our hearts. We are to guard our hearts from an enemy who would use our injuries to introduce the toxin of hatred and despair. All of Scripture warns us of this. Jesus warns us of this. Fight slight against you with forgiveness Benefiting not your oppressor, but yourself. Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Break the cycle. Break the cycle. St. Paul understood this when in Romans, citing both the book of Deuteronomy and Proverbs, this isn't just the New Testament, he implored Do not repay anyone evil for evil. But be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends. But leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. And with emphasis here, do not be overcome by evil. Don't feed the cycle. But overcome evil with good Dr King understood this he put his finger on this he said i've got i've got here a strategy he was on to something as were nelson mandela and desmond tutu after him confronting violence with peace combating hatred with love it was a strategy that exposed The hideousness of the sin of racism. Where even southern whites, not all, but many. Where even southern whites, having lived with it for generations, were appalled by it. God, what are we doing? Shifting a culture of that region. It led to the most sweeping civil rights reforms since the Civil War. But what this strategy meant for the human heart and soul was much more important. Providing an antidote to the venom of hatred and despair. We fight darkness with light. We fight despair with hope. Church, this is not easy to do. It is so much easier to give in to wrath. It is so much easier to give in to despair and feed the cycle. But if it's not an easy formula, it is an effective one. Case in point, in the 1990s, the black clergy in Boston used this strategy to great effect when they confronted a wave of gang violence and police brutality with a strategy of partnering with the Boston Police Department to reinvent itself and community policing, transforming the department, lowering the homicide rates in Boston to among the lowest for any city our size, compare it to Washington, D.C., compare it to Atlanta, and creating, for a time, a coveted national model. This is a battle very close to my heart. It's why I'm the only non-black member of the Ten Point Coalition, the authors of this strategy. It's why I believe God permitted me to become the, a co-chair of the social school committees, of the Boston School Committee's Opportunity and Achievement Gap Task Force. And I believe it is one reason God called me to the Boston Higher Education Resource Center. The Boston Herc is an experiment in covenanting meaningfully with God. An experiment with taking God at his word. With racism, if not our chief target, then one of our chief nemesis. There's a battle that the Boston Herc rages on the ground that I believe is critical for shifting the landscape of systemic racism including taking first-generation young people blacks Latinos and uh, other students of color making sure that they achieve a, 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 a that they graduate and achieve a degree and become agents of change and then trans become Tra- transform their landscape and the, the landscape of the generations that follow and become light themselves. It is a strategy that addresses upstream the tragedies that we've been seeing downstream. They go hand in hand. Is it any wonder that both systemic racism and opportunity and achievement gaps have persisted as long as anyone can remember. They go hand in hand. There will be no change downstream until we successfully close the gaps upstream. But besides the battle we fight on the ground, there is, I believe, a much more important battle that the boss and her wages in the air spiritually. And with that battle, our most potent weapon is the passport program coach. These are young professionals who love God and who are full of the Holy Spirit. Who look very similar to the young people sitting in Boston Public School classrooms that we send them to. If Satan had his way, if Satan had his way, he would shroud the minds and hearts of every youth in every BPS classroom in an impenetrable film of darkness. These coaches, by their mere presence and anointing, combat Satan's strategies with the weapons of our warfare, which are not of this world, with hope, with forgiveness, with shalom, with love, partnering with the Lord of hosts, becoming an ally with the God of the armies to undo the work of Satan and free captives with the power of light. Which is really the invitation now. You have a choice. Don't let the enemy lie to you. If you have covenanted with God, your heart matters. More than anything else in all of this verbiage and outrage that fills the air after these murders. What are you going to think about it? What are you going to pray about it? How are you going to feel about it? It matters to God. And this morning, as a church, and as a people of God, you can make a decision today to break Satan's cycle of despair. You can make a decision even amid so much darkness, to become a champion of light. Again, this is just one man's rumination. But I bless you, my home, my church family. In Jesus' name.
0: I hope you'll understand why I decided that it was better for Sam to address us this morning than myself. I think his words, uh, are, they capture um, so many of the nuances that we need to keep in mind uh, during this time, and um, I believe that they uh, reflect a balance that is required at this moment of the call to denounce injustice and at the same time not to fall prey to it. By harboring sentiments of uh, hatred and uh, revenge in our own hearts, and to always look to the, the, the light of God's word um, and the example of Jesus Christ. And I do pray that Lion of Judah, uh, this uh, multi racial, multi ethnic, diverse congregation uh, that goes uh, also into diversity of uh, generations and socioeconomic situation and other moral levels also of uh, human existence because there are different levels of uh, sinfulness even manifesting themselves in our own community, and yet we are all welcomed by the Spirit of God, which is always redemptive, um, that we will always be a, a prophetic denunciation of uh, injustices, of injustices. Um, Not just this nation, but every nation of the human heart itself. May we, in our desire to be a welcoming congregation, a congregation that uh, goes beyond all these distinctions that are ultimately false, uh, and a congregation, I hope, of generosity, may we be that living denunciation of uh, what has taken place uh, in America just uh, recently. And uh, there's no pride in that. We always have to be really, really humble in acknowledging our sinfulness and the fact that it's just because of God's mercy. As, as the Word says, there there, but for the grace of God go I. Um, we need to indeed know that we are complicit in one way or another many times in the injustices of the world. But Father, we thank You this morning. We thank You because Your Word Heals and your word leaves a feeling of uh, redemption and hope and blessing, even as we acknowledge our sinfulness before you. Thank you for Jesus Christ and thank you for the illuminating effect of your word in our lives. And we leave this place uh, knowing that you are Lord, you are sovereign over creation, sovereign over sin, sovereign over hell, sovereign over every act of oppression that we can commit against each other. And we beg your forgiveness this morning, and we stand in your love. Now dismiss your people with a sense of hope and of redemption. We are redeemed by Jesus Christ, no matter who we are. Heal our land, Father. Heal our land. Heal our cities, Heal the homes of so many who are bleeding right now. Heal the hearts of many who are full of resentment and rage. Heal our churches. Heal your people. Lead us now from this place, Father, in peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.